Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to episode 56 of True Blue Crime. My name's Sean and with me as always is my co-host Chloe. How are you today? Good and I've freed up a lot of disk space on my computer just so you know because last time we recorded I had a heart attack afterwards because I had no memory left and couldn't save the episode off. I've, I've fixed that. I just thought I'd wait till now to let you know. Good. Thanks for waiting until we were rolling to let me know that. <laughs> No worries. It was touch and go last uh, last episode, wasn't it? But we got there. It was a bit dicey, yeah. <laughs> uh, we got some Patreon shout-outs this week, Chloe. We do. Thank you so much and welcome to Tyler Green, Cassie Edgar, Leslie Gregor, Stuart Wilkie, Peter and Nikki, Jamie Dobbins, Jasmine Hendy, Helen Taylor, Kate McIver, Riley and Harley Q. Thanks for the support, everyone. Much appreciated. The case we are discussing today contains graphic descriptions of crimes against young children, including some upsetting real-world audio. Some of the content is difficult to hear, so we'd encourage our listeners to exercise self-care when listening to this episode. So we had a case lined up for this week, Chloe, but we had to put it on ice for now um, as we wait on some more information to come in. Hopefully we can pull that one together in the coming weeks and make that one a really good episode that might shine a light on a case that really needs it. Uh, But when I realised we wouldn't be doing that one, I had a quick look through some of our listener requests and uh, one jumped out at me to dive into this week and that's the tragic case of six-year-old Kaisha Weppert, which happened around the Mount Druitt region of Sydney, New South Wales in July of 2010. And there's many aspects to this case which prompted a lot of discussion at the time, not only about those involved and the broader socioeconomic aspects, but the possible systematic failures of our community services. No doubt there'll be a lot of discussion around that in our episode thread this week, but we wanted to do uh, the episode in a way that uh, sort of went back to tell this story from the beginning. Uh, So we can really see the progression of events to this point in 2010 where this tale takes place. Before we get to all of that, we're going to start things off with a phone call, a triple zero call. And just imagine for a second the feeling you might have if you woke up one morning, went into your child's bedroom and discovered 
they weren't in their bed. They weren't even in the house or in the yard. They'd completely vanished. Hi, I've just got nothing. I've went to the toilet. I've noticed that my front door was open and my daughter's not here. Okay, uh, what's your address? It's Miss Dean, Street 342, which is like 70 Mount Joy. Okay. You just get the police on their way out there, okay? How old's your daughter? She's six. She's six? <laughs> Have you checked all the units? No, 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 I've just gotten up. Okay, what's your name? Christy, I'm my mum. Okay, Christy, what's your last name? Abraham. Yeah, and what's your um, phone number there? Um, I don't, I've just got the mobile, I don't know the mobile number. Okay. What's your mobile? I don't know, I don't, I don't what's know. What's your it. daughter's name? Kaisha. What is it? Kaisha. Bella. K-I-E-S-H-A. Yep. Abraham? Um, yes. And she's six? Yeah, she's six. Okay, so she, as far as you know, she would be in her pyjamas, or you don't know? Yes, she's in her pyjamas. Okay. So what time would you have last seen her? Last night? Um, I put her out of bed last night, quarter to ten. Okay. And do you have any other family that live in the unit block? No. Any no. neighbours that she would talk to? No. No. And it runs off, what is that, Marina Street? Pardon? The corner street, there's Marina Street. Carlisle. Okay. Has she ever done this before? No, no, no not really. Like, she said a window and shit, but no, I don't know. Is she tall, short, skinny? Tall, she's skinny, she's got blonde hair, and blue eyes. Yep. <laughs> and what colour jammies did she have on last night? She had pink pyjamas and a purple jacket, a purple pumpkin patch jacket. So pink pyjamas and a purple jacket last night? Yes. Okay. I've just let the police know. We've got police. We've got everybody on their way out to see you, okay? And she's never done this. No, like she gets up and plays like in the middle of the night. She looks at I'm a corner at her window before we went over, but... I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. And do you, is it just the two of you that live there? I've got a two-year-old and a three-week-old baby. And are they still there? Yeah, they're still here. They're still there? Yes. And have they seen the two-year-old? Did they, have they, have you quizzed the two-year-old? Can you two-year-old speak? Yeah. No, she was in. Like, she was in bed. I was just run up with me as well. We've all just gotten up. Okay. So the two and three-week-old are still there. Yes. And like the, the kid's father, he, he my kid's he, he's here as well. He's there he's as well. Looking for her. Okay. All right. 
Now, Chrissy, we have got everybody on their way out there. So he's out yelling the streets for us? Yeah, he's the one looking for her. So that's your ex-partner, is that right? Yes, that's the kid's father, yes. What's his name? Robert. Robert? Yeah, Robert. Robert who? Smith. Okay. And you've looked in all the cupboards? Yes, he's not here. I looked everywhere. Do you have any birthmarks on her? Um, you've got like a little one on her stomach. I've got one in the same place as well. Do you see it? Yes. But she hasn't got my earrings in. Okay. All right, Chrissy. Well, I'm going to hang up. We've got police on their way there yeah. now. All right. If you hear anything before we get there, you call us straight back. I will. Okay. Otherwise, we'll be there as soon as possible, okay? Yeah. All right, then. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye. When Chris Weppert was 17, he moved from living with his father to be with his mother, Liz. Liz lived in Coffs Harbour on the New South Wales north coast and she had three other boys, four in total. They were aged 15, 5 and 1. Soon after Chris moved back home with his mum and brothers, they moved from Coffs Harbour down to Tregear because Liz's youngest had a medical condition which required them to be close to the area for treatment. Chris too had been diagnosed with a medical condition around the time he moved back home with his mum. He had type 1 diabetes And this made a whole lot of sense, explaining why Chris often got a bit wonky when his blood sugar was low and why he'd often go off rambling in his speech when this happened. After a short time settling back in at home, Chris was introduced to a local girl through his brother, Matthew, who was just a couple of years younger than him. Her name was Christy Abrahams, and she lived around the corner from the Weppets in McMurdo Avenue in Tregear. She had her own housing commission flat And to Matthew and Chris, she seemed like this chilled-out, nice-looking young woman, well-dressed, funny. She had things together. Christy would end up spending a lot of time at the Weppet home. Initially, Chris hoped that his mum Liz might enjoy the female company in an otherwise testosterone-fueled household, but for Liz, it wasn't a great fit. She found Christy to be lazy, a slob by and large. But to her credit, Liz said that whenever she had to leave the baby at home when she went out, Christy would always have the baby bathed, fed, changed and in bed when she got back. So she had some redeeming qualities, Christy. She was seemingly quite motherly. Christy Abraham told the Weppards that she was a bitzer in terms of her heritage, a mesh of different backgrounds, which explained her tanned complexion. In reality, Christy had a Caucasian mother and an Aboriginal father. But she wasn't too keen on identifying with her Aboriginal culture, and this stemmed from her childhood. Christy had moved around a lot with her family when she was young, gone to numerous schools, or sometimes not at all. She was said to be a good kid, popular, but we'd see some later psychological assessments which would contradict this outward appearance. 
Christy's mother died when she was young, just 10 years old. She had an epileptic fit one night while Christy and her three-year-old brother were at home, and this seizure killed her. Christy walked in to see her mum covered in blood in her bedroom. Her father wasn't home at the time, and he wouldn't hang around after this either. He was reported to have been violent, had issues with alcohol, and had served time in jail. Christy was said to have held him responsible for what happened to her mum, and from here, we can see why she perhaps didn't really want to identify with anything related to him. From the age of 10, Christy would be in state care, and this is where we'd see the psychological assessments of her take place. Dr Peter Champion assessed Christy as having an IQ of 68 and bordering on having an intellectual disability. Champion asked her to write down some things that she remembered her father doing to her mother. Without reading the entire list, suffice to say it painted him quite vividly as someone who liked to punch and kick. By 14, Christy was living in a group home, at which time she was still displaying a childish disposition for her age, still enjoying things like bananas in pyjamas. She also put on quite a lot of weight by this time. After a pair of failed foster placements, Christy spent two years in a girls' refuge before getting her flat in McMurdo Avenue in Tregear. Now 18, she'd met Chris Weppert and was a fixture around their place. One day, Christy walked into the kitchen where Liz was and threw a positive pregnancy test down on the table. What am I going to do? She asked Liz. After a brief talk where Liz tried to gauge Christy and Christy tried to gauge Liz, it was left with Christy having to face the reality of the situation and make her own choice. She went into the bedroom and told Chris after this, Chris, blonde and all arms and legs, tore out of the bedroom swearing at the revelation and took off on his push bike, fanging around suburban Mount Druitt to clear his head. A couple of hours later though, and Liz would spot him back at home on the couch with Christy, the pair holding hands and saying that they were going to keep the baby because they didn't believe in abortions. Christy pretty much lived at the Whippet home at this point. That was until a short time into the pregnancy when Chris stormed out of his room and told his mum that Christy was punching herself in the stomach. They had a row and she wanted an abortion now. Liz went in and told red-eyed crying Christy to go and get the abortion if she was going to do silly things like that. Christy got up in a huff and went back to her flat. But she was back within a few days and with a new attitude. Less aggressive, she'd cut back on the durries and moving forward, the pair limited their drinking to a four-pack of vodka cruises each fortnight. Chris strayed on occasion, missing the first ultrasound because he'd had a couple of cones and was too stoned to make the appointment. This angered Christy, but they made up and he was elated to hear that they were having a boy. Christy gave birth to the couple's baby boy named Aiden on February the 6th, 2003. He was a happy, healthy baby. But Christy was reported to have been quite aggressive to the nurses after her birth. She'd had a caesarean and she complained that the nurses had moved her around a lot and hurt her. She was so aggressive that the nurses reported her to the Department of Community Services or DOCS as they're more commonly known. They attended to her and Aiden days later but the baby was seemingly fine, although they had been slightly underfeeding the infant. Things would seemingly go downhill between Chris and Christy after this, though. They ended up having huge quarrels, Christy throwing glass candle holders at Chris as he took off on his pushy, 
bobbing and weaving other bits of furniture she was hurling. He wasn't without fault, smashing her coffee table at one stage. It was said that Christy had become enraged when Chris suggested that he wanted a vasectomy, which the doctor didn't allow due to him being so young. Chris accused Christy of going nuts, mixing her meds, and even threatening to throw Aiden off the balcony if he didn't shut up and let her sleep. The police attended at least one of these feisty feuds, and Constable reported the situation to Docs. A caseworker, Richard Affleck, was consulted, and Constable finished her shift, thinking the baby was going to be removed from the volatile situation. But that didn't happen. Affleck tried a few times to visit Christy, but her and Chris eventually reconciled and she moved back to the Weppert home. Docs didn't attempt any further visits, which Affleck later attributed to a heavy workload and possibly a calming of the situation from what was reported. But things wouldn't remain calm for very long. A visit from an ex-girlfriend of Chris's, Angela Forbes, would cause further tension between him and Christy, to the point where a pre-visit brawl ended up with Chris's younger brother Matt actually getting stabbed in the hand by Christy with a pair of scissors. This is when he stepped in between them at one stage. But Christy simmered by the time Angela arrived and they made it through without incident. She even managed to hold it together when Angela gave Chris a new pair of sneakers. Apparently they were still friends and there was nothing untoward going on. But one has to wonder if it upset Christy a lot more than it seemed to on the surface. Later this evening, Christy and Chris took Aiden back to her flat, which seems strange as they'd only ever stayed there once with Aiden. Chris and Liz mostly fed the bub throughout the night while Christy slept. This evening, though, they put him down in his room at the flat with his Tigger blanket and Winnie the Pooh curtains in an otherwise stark bedroom he'd rarely been in. Chris fed and changed him and put him down on his side at 2.30am, Aiden wouldn't be due to feed again until 6am, which Chris again would be up for, but that didn't happen. Chris and Christy actually slept until midday the following day. Liz had been wondering what was going on with the kids because they'd all planned to meet at 11am that morning and vote in the state election. That simple task was turned on its head when Chris rolled up on his pushy in a panic and told Liz, Aiden's blue and he's dead and he's cold. Christy's up there screaming, Mum, I found him and he was on his face. We're not going to get into all of the details of what transpired after this as it's very upsetting to delve into. In summary, it was determined that Aiden had died from SIDS, Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. The post-mortem officially noted the cause of death as unascertained, which was apparently because of it being suspicious due to previous reports to docs. If they had not been reported previously, apparently it would have been classified as SIDS. That's a whole other can of worms, a whole other podcast. Needless to say, losing a baby like this would be a traumatic experience for any parent. We'll leave any other conjecture around Aiden's passing and simply say that we hope the little boy is resting peacefully. Understandably, this event had a big impact on Christy and Chris's relationship. They'd be on and off again in the following months, with reports of Christy self-harming, becoming more aggressive, even cutting up the sneakers Chris had received from Angela. During one of the periods where they'd patched things up, the couple fell pregnant again. This time Christy gave birth to a beautiful baby girl who they named Kaisha. It was said that Christy really changed for the better after this. She was glowing and adored her baby daughter. 
She'd had Kaisha naturally as opposed to having a caesarean, something she told Liz made her feel more connected to Kaisha compared with Aiden. Chris and Christy moved to a unit on Poppendetta Road in nearby Bidwell, and Christy really took to motherhood this time around. Kaisha was always well-dressed, clean, warm clothes in winter, well-fed, etc. And Kaisha was a beautiful little girl, bubbly, friendly. She had a real spark about her. To all outside appearances, Kaisha was going well. Christy was a good mum, and it was actually Chris who was perceivably a bit of a dropkick. Christy had mentioned that she wanted to ditch Chris by this time, and with his health troubles, insulin syringes around for his diabetes, people started presuming he was perhaps more into drugs than he might have been in reality. Beneath the surface, though, things may have been a bit different. Christy had assault charges brought against her for punching and kicking a woman named Donna Marquick. And when Kaisha was just 15 months old, Christy picked her up by the neck, dumped her in the lounge room, then bit Kaisha on the arm when she tried to crawl away. This was amidst a quarrel her and Chris were having at the time. Chris reported this to the police, and after Docs visited Christy, Kaisha was returned to him and Liz. For some reason, and it's not clear why, but we can assume Chris had his own physical and mental health issues during this time too. Docs visited the Weppert house in the time after this, and Chris ended up signing paperwork, essentially declaring himself as unfit to raise a child. Christy didn't get Kaisha back at this point. She was placed with a foster family where she was said to be quite happy. Christy had supervised access visits, which she treated very seriously attending anger management classes and even entering into a parental care plan. But things between Chris Whippert and Christy Abrahams had disintegrated by this point. There'd just been too much turmoil and the couple wouldn't reunite again after this. Christy again had this oddly perplexing two-toned life carry on. She'd be motivated and seemingly doing the right things to try and get Kaisha back and then she'd get done for traffic offences and be back abusing drugs and substances. She formed a friendship with Alison Anderson. Their daughters became friends, and Alison was a positive support. She tried to encourage Christy to prove them all wrong and do the right thing. Christy would get Kaisha back from docks a couple of months later. She'd lose her again in the coming years for about a year at one stage and work a way to get her back once and for all. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. During this time, Christy also entered a new relationship with a man named Robert Smith. Robert was described as a shy guy with a chronic low mood and a Holden Commodore, the sort of bloke who would scurry on by without a word in reply if you said g'day to him. Christy had another two kids after this, a girl and then a boy. 
When she had the girl, there were some questions at the hospital when a nurse noticed a bruise on then three-and-a-half-year-old Kaisha's face, and they reported it to docs. Docs again sent a caseworker, and when they spoke to Kaisha, she couldn't confirm how she'd gotten the bruise. The caseworker did notice a cigarette burn on her, though, to which Kaisha said, Mum hit there, Mum did that. Worryingly, Kaisha stayed with Christy, and friends would occasionally witness Christy yelling at the little girl to get back inside and sit down if they'd come to the door, and Kaisha flinched when Christy raised a hand on occasion. By July 2010, Christy had had a baby boy, her fourth child, including baby Aiden. So at this time, living with Robert Smith, there was six-year-old Kaisha, her two-year-old younger sister, and her one-week-old baby brother. On Saturday, July 31st, 2010, at around 9.30, Christy Abrahams reportedly put her daughter Kaisha to bed. The family had watched the Golden Compass together and afterwards she put Kaisha to bed in her pink pyjamas and purple pumpkin patch jacket. The following morning when Christy and Robert awoke at their flat in Woodstock Avenue, their one-week-old and two-year-old were still in bed asleep. Six-year-old Kaisha, however, was nowhere to be seen. She'd vanished from her bed during the night. And this is where we circle around back to the introduction, Chloe, where we heard Christy Abrahams make that traumatic triple zero call to report Kaisha missing. The police responded quickly, as we heard. Christy and Robert reported that their front door was ajar when they awoke, but otherwise there were no signs of forced entry into the flat. Alison Anderson was on the scene to help as soon as she heard. She located Christy across the road at Robert Smith's mother's house. Robert was up at the local Westfield searching for Kaisha already. Alison gave a noticeably stressed and crying Christy a cigarette to try and calm her nerves as she juggled breastfeeding her newborn. What about Kaisha's dad, Alison asked. Police were on the scene at the Whippart house as quick as you like. It was an obvious first port of call. When the police arrived, Liz Whippart had no idea that Kaisha had even been returned to Christy following her most recent foster placement. The whole thing about Kaisha going there never sat right with Liz in the first place. She was stunned that Chris had signed the paperwork declaring himself unfit. He later apologised and said he wasn't thinking, but Liz felt she couldn't do anything about it. The police searched the home and quickly cleared Chris Weppert of having any involvement in Kaisha's disappearance. For starters, he too didn't know Kaisha had been returned back to Christie at this stage, and he was also holed up in the hospital, having one of his toes amputated as a result of complications from his diabetes. The first thoughts from relatives and family was that they hoped Kaisha had simply wandered off and would return. However, as time passed... Fears of abduction only grew. Good evening. An urgent search is underway tonight for a six-year-old girl who vanished from her home in Western Sydney. Grave fears are held for the little girl and TEN's reporter Matt Doran joins us now from the scene of the search. Matt, what can you tell us? Tash, the agonising wait continues tonight for the family of six-year-old Kaisha Abrahams, who was last seen at her apartment here in Mount Druitt when her mum tucked her into bed about 9.30 last night. Now, she disappeared by the time her family woke at 10 o'clock this morning, and that has triggered a massive search right through this area. Resources have been summoned from across the city, all up 100 police and SES workers are combing this region for any clues and also involved in the search, the police air wing and the dog squad. 
Police deny, Tash, that there were any signs of forced entry into the, into the apartment, rather, but say it is possible she has been abducted. Obviously, due to the, uh, the child's age being six, you know, we've hold fears for her safety. The child may have walked off or may have, may have uh, dealt with, with uh, foul play. Distraught family members are, of course, praying that uh, Kaisha has simply wandered off and, and will be found safe and well, but they say it is hugely out of character for a little girl who is generally too afraid to be on her own. They've described her as a beautiful soul with a zest for life and a love of music. So my lord, we come straight down and hope What is this little girl like? What is, oh, okay. Tell us a little bit about her. She's happy, gay, lucky. Um, very friendly. She'll walk up and she'll say hello to you. Um, she's very homey. She loves her little sister. She's got a little baby brother as well. Now, the search has now entered its seventh hour, Tash, and police have concentrated their efforts on backyards and nearby homes, but they've also scoured rubbish bins and stormwater drains, even surrounding bushland. Now, they have also spoken with Kaisha's stepfather and father, but at this stage there is no suggestion they are in any way linked to her disappearance. Now, the search will be scaled back shortly at about dusk, but it is expected to continue through the night. Back to you. So the police investigation began promptly, as the news clip said. And alongside the search, police had to begin filling in the timeline of Kayesha's life, the last time she'd been seen, which was by Christian Robert, but going back even further than that too, anything to try and glean some information as to where the young girl might be. A neighbour would report seeing Kayesha on the 23rd or 24th of July, just a week before she went missing, so this was a puzzle piece. But police needed much more and it was proving difficult. As we said, Chris Weppert had been interviewed and cleared, but he was not coping well with the news of Kaisha's disappearance. He was taken to Mount Druid Hospital in the days after this, vomiting blood and mucus, which was said to have arose from the stress of his daughter going missing alongside his already ailing health. Christy and Robert were interviewed pretty intensely. Robert in particular was under scrutiny from the police. The Homicide Squad had now been called in to begin heading up inquiries and in this next clip we hear a bit of a change in tone towards the end when it becomes apparent that no one had actually seen Koyesha for almost three weeks prior to her disappearance. The family of missing Sydney girl Keisha Abrahams has made an emotional plea for information on her disappearance. The six-year-old was reported missing on Sunday morning, 12 hours after her mother says she tucked her into bed at their home in Mount Druitt. Relatives believe she was abducted. The units where she lives, that there's always all these stray cats and um, she likes playing with them and Christy, you know, in, this is what she told me, that she thinks that Kai should have just gone up and got out and went and played the cats. Mm. And um, I think someone's got it from there. Police say it is believed she's not been seen by anyone other than her parents for three weeks. And Nine Network reporter Damien Ryan joins me now from Western Sydney with more. Damien, quite a few developments today. Yeah, well, it was certainly tough going for Christy Abrahams, Kaisha's mother, today. I think she realised that she probably had to um, to come forward and uh, put 
put her pain aside basically and make this appeal. It's been 72 hours since Kaisha was last seen here. Um, this is still a crime scene. The SES crews uh, tonight are moving off and they're going to do some more door knocking just to try and find that all-important uh, breakthrough which the uh, the police need. Uh, Kaisha's mum was, uh, was very distressed today uh, as she said that uh, she was, you know, pleaded for the public for, for someone to come forward um, but uh, a homicide squad are now involved in the case and, and there are real fears, obvious fears, that uh, this little girl may have been murdered. Damien, it's, it does seem it's quite a different scene there at the house. Uh, a lot more police, uh, a lot more activity. Yeah, there's no doubt, uh, Mike. I think when the homicide squad took over the inquiry, um, they really did ratchet up this inquiry. There's been searching all day today. Um, the, 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 the thing that you mentioned earlier in your intro that... Um, just the whereabouts of this little girl, that's what the Homicide Squad are really focusing on now. The parents said they last saw her on Saturday night. Uh, the, the Homicide Squad is actually going back further. They're trying to find the whereabouts of this child for the last month. Uh, no one apart from the family have seen, uh, or the parents have, have seen this little girl for three and a half weeks, and that is a real mystery for the police, and that's what they're trying to work on at the moment. At this point, all of Kaisha's immediate family were being treated as suspects in her disappearance. Detective Inspector Russell Oxford described the police search as exhaustive, but the ground search was ultimately called off with no clues as to where the little six-year-old was or what might have happened to her. Then we started seeing quite a bit of public scrutiny on Christy Abrahams in particular. Even friends in her corner, people like Alison Anderson, were wondering why she wasn't getting up and joining the hunt for her little girl or coming forward to the public to plead for information. Christy even moved flats in the time after this, which seemed odd to many who were still holding out hope that Kaisha might still be alive and potentially return home. It was also reported that when the media showed up outside their home, Robert Smith would run out and pelt eggs at their cars, returning inside to raucous laughter from Christie. But the laughter was canned when they eventually did front the media to plead for information from the public. Christie, her eyes wrapped in a pair of black shades, cried incessantly in front of the cameras, the mottle-faced, rat-tailed Robert Smith fielding most of the questions. This was day seven in the search for Kaisha by this point. Well, relatives of a six-year-old Sydney girl missing for a week have pleaded for compassion. Speculation surrounding Kaisha Abraham's disappearance and her troubled upbringing has been rife, but family members just want their little angel found. With the mystery of six-year-old Kaisha's disappearance still unsolved, her natural father's family has spoken about their anguish. Little angel, you know, sweet innocent little girl. You know, I can't find any reason why anyone would do something to harm her. Chris Wipart is under treatment for stress and depression following a difficult week. His family wants help from the public to bring her home. His heart just feels empty at the moment. Um, obviously he wants his daughter back safe, unharmed. The family is asking people to put aside suspicion. What they want most is news about the girl they call our little angel. It's a very tough time for everybody at the moment. I think everyone needs just to leave both, both sides of the family alone and let them sort their stuff out. It's now a week since the young girl disappeared. Her mother and other family members have left their homes to stay together here at a nearby motel. 
Kaisha's mother, Christy, was being comforted by family members, along with a six-year-old stepfather, Robert Smith. Police are continuing their search of local creeks and waterways in the hope of finding some sign of the missing girl. So we were definitely seeing the suspicion around Christy Abrahams and Robert Smith grow by this point. Certainly the police had strong suspicions from the get-go, but it was very much growing in the public arena. More details would come to light about Kaisha's life before her disappearance. It turned out she'd only attended school for four days in two terms, and she hadn't been to school at all in the week prior to her disappearance. But the last time she had been there, a teacher saw bruising on her face. Apparently, people from the Department of Education visited the Abrahams household several times, but were always met with a locked door. More reports surfaced of people who witnessed bruising on young Kaisha, black eyes and the like, which were always explained as run-ins with kitchen tables, etc. Christy even seemed to have her father back on the scene now. He was even heard talking in front of the media. He'd seemingly been Christy's enemy number one all of these years. Now he was around again and Christy had apparently even asked him to take Kaisha in the weeks before her disappearance because, quote, I'm sick of her, she shits and pisses the bed, she plays up at school, I will hurt her, I will really hurt her, I will kill her. Police suspicion solidified when forensic results conducted at the flat came back and they'd located traces of Kaisha's blood within the home, her bedroom actually, and quite a bit of it. Police questioned Christy to a greater extent now, trying to figure out what had happened to Kaisha. Did she change from her pyjamas or she's still in her pyjamas? When she cut her head? No, she would have been, she was out, would have been getting dried. So she would have had nothing on. Okay, so she had a, she's having showers. So the, the, the kids have showers in the morning, do they? The, the well, children Morning and night, whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> would there be any reason why there'd be more blood, not just in her unit, but throughout the unit? What are you trying to say? I'm just saying that when we forensically examined the unit, there's a there's a amount of Kaisha's blood throughout the unit, and I'm just trying to ask I don't you, know. ask you how that would have got there. I don't know. No. Okay. Is that how you put her to bed that night, like that? No, I put the blanket over her. Okay. Does she normally kick the blankets out when she's asleep? Yeah, because she sweats. Okay. So when the police found the bed, just simply like that, mm-hmm. that. Was that unusual to find it like that? Simply fold it back nice Well, it was unusual like not to see her in the bed. Yeah, I understand that, but I'm just saying that the neatness of the bed. Would she normally keep a nice, neat room? Well, she makes a bed every morning. Okay. And the shoes were neat, so bedroom's generally tidy, is it? Yes, because I clean it. Okay. Are we talking about the park around the Woodstock? Yes, right next bed? door. Right next door? Yes. Okay, so... Robert to end up in Westfield at Mount Druitt, is that unusual? What do you mean? Well, Robert's, when he's left your unit, he's gone into Westfield, all the way to Westfield, and looked inside Westfield. Oh, he's looked all the way where we walked down to the Westfields? Yeah, but you don't take her to the shops. I do. I've been through a whole week of her life, and she hasn't left the unit. So what are you trying to say? No, what I'm trying to say is, why did he end up down in Mount Druitt Shopping Centre? But he looked all all around. And to go to Mount Druitt. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that you don't take her shopping. Why would she go there? She's never been there, has she? She has. Maybe not the the week that you're talking about. Oh, you know what? This is over, seriously, because what are you trying to get at? 
All right, I'll move on. All I'm saying is, I'm saying that, Robert, why did he go to Westfield? That's all I'm asking. It's a simple question. So have question. a walk. You would have seen, you would have got the CT. But that's a lot, it's a long, no, it's a long way from where you are, that's all. So we hear in that clip, Christy is very combative with officers as they try to hone in on inconsistencies in her and Robert's stories. The neatness of Kaisha's bed, the blood in the house from her supposedly innocent bumping of her head at some stage, and why had Robert hightailed it to Westfield some distance away when Kaisha had been reported missing? Russell Oxford had his ideas on that, which we'll hear later. Weeks passed into months and the police investigation all but eliminated a single theory, that Christy Abrahams and or Robert Smith were hiding something here. Abduction, Kaisha being taken by her father or other family or simply wandering off, were basically off the table. There was no evidence supporting any of those contentions. But there was resistance, strange behaviour, unanswered questions and strong circumstantial evidence suggesting that Kaisha's mother and stepfather had something to do with her disappearance. Police were now confident that she was dead and informed the state coroner as much. The details of what transpired over the coming months in terms of the police investigation are still an undisclosed operational secret, but what we do know is that some form of undercover sting operation transpired. Police needed more, they needed to find Kaisha's body, and they needed hard evidence from Christy or Robert, directly implicating them in Kaisha's death and probable murder. And the police's hard work eventually paid off when an undercover police operative managed to elicit a confession from Christy Abrahams while holed up in a hotel room. Here, she explained what had happened to Kaisha and that it was all basically an accident. So, is there, um, all I'm trying to say is that when she hit her head, was there any blood on her? Any blood? Doesn't matter. I'm not talking about pork, any blood at all on her or anywhere else that you you could see as a result of her falling down and hitting her head? No. Are you sure? I'm positive. Was she sitting up? Was she sitting up or was she lying down? No, she just felt like jelly. Felt like jelly? Yeah, but she was still there. Was she breathing at this stage, you think? Yeah, she is, but it's like, I don't know, just weird. <laughs> she was still breathing. She was looking at her, told her to squeeze my finger. She could squeeze my finger. They were buttering my room. On the fold out, on the little fold out lounge. Uh, in her room or your room? Mine? Yeah, I So I could just watch her? Yes. But I fell asleep when we woke up in the morning. <laughs> She was just what? Like we both went down and I could see us because like the neighbours aren't home like they work 
Well, they teach themselves. What time of work, What time of morning was this, buddy? Um. Nine or I, I, like just in the in the morning, and we went, went down, got it, come up, and then lost her in the suitcase and put her in, like put her in a room, like in the suitcase, just shut the door. Then what's happened? And then uh, Rob's like, you know, riding around. You want to use a trail bike riding around? No, I got a push bike. Yeah, you got a push bike from somewhere like down the road. To dig a hole. Oh, you're right. Yes, because he was worried about us. Okay. Did he get a shovel from your house? Did he do it all himself? Did he get help from anyone else? No. You got a hammer? Go ahead. Did you get a hammer? He's gone for ages. What? So, okay, so he left home with what? A push bike? Or no, he went, found someone's push bike. He went, yeah, he went. Found someone's push bike. And he, did he leave home with a shovel? Or he just no, nothing, for, nothing. He just went and scoped it out. Okay, so he's right, ridden a push bike out to the bushland. But and it would have taken him, like, no, something. No one else helped you? No. No. Except the taxi driver driving, is there? So from your, how did you get from, so the taxi driver took you from your unit to that place where you then, near Shelby, where you then went in the bushland and buried her with a suitcase, yeah? So you had her at one stage with a suitcase in a taxi. Reports varied on how this next part went down, but in essence, what transpired was that Christy and Robert led police to where they had buried Kaisha in bushland off Stony Creek Road in Shelby in Sydney's west. When they returned from the site, the pair were promptly arrested and charged with murder. But first, human remains found in several locations in bushland in Sydney's west are believed to be missing girl Kaisha Abrahams, who disappeared from her Mount Druid home nine months ago. Police have charged her mother and stepfather with murder after arresting them in the early hours of the morning. 10's Evan Batten joins us now from Mount Druitt. Evan, all of this would have been on what would have been Kaisha's seventh birthday. T today really has been a, a display of so much grief and anger, uh, particularly here at this unit complex, which has become the focal point for so much of the community since Kaisha dis disappeared uh, nine months ago now. Um, certainly tonight as a large crowd gathers behind me for what would have been a vigil to mark her seventh birthday, that gathering is taking on a, a very different tone, a lot more serious. And even though those remains that have been found in bushland not very far from here at all are yet to be identified, people already are starting to talk about planning for Kaisha's funeral. Charged with murdering their six-year-old girl, Kaisha's mother, Christy Abrahams, and stepfather, Robert Smith, were taken to court this morning, left in no doubt about the community's rage. They were arrested in this Shalvey laneway after walking through a reserve leading into dense bushland just after midnight. A short time later, in the early hours of what was supposed to be one of Kaisha's happiest days, detectives found a grave. Skeletal remains found scattered around the reserve, popular with trail bike riders. An autopsy will be carried out on Monday to determine whether the remains are those of Kaisha, who would have turned seven today. 
Smith's father says he understands people's anger but wants to hear the evidence at court before making up his mind. You've got to believe that your own son couldn't have a part in this, so yeah, that's what I want to believe. Jim Taupout was like a step-grandfather to Kaisha and played with her often. I miss her so much. In their last public interview, Abrahams and Smith told 10 News they still believe she might have been alive, making an appeal directly to the six-year-old to come home. We all love her and we all miss her, and if she can hear or see it, get to a phone or ring the police, we want her to come back safely. Do anything in your power to please come back home. They'd kept her Christmas presents and other toys ready in a spare room, waiting for her to come home, even showing some of the gifts they'd hung on to from the memorial set up at the old unit. It's been very arduous and very long investigation and something that um, I'm proud of the efforts of the police that worked on this case. And uh, we had tremendous community support all along the way and I think uh, it was simply the case that we never wanted to give up on this matter. Today, the couple chose not to appear on video link as the matter was heard at Parramatta Local Court. Their lawyer told the court they were too distraught. Police say the area where the remains were found is so extensive they'll be processing it for days. So the remains were later positively identified as Kaisha's, and we can hear in the clip the vitriol of the community. The anger there was palpable. This community wanted answers and they turned on both Christy and Robert as soon as they were arrested and Kaisha's body was found. The community had set up vigils praying for a positive outcome that young Kaisha would be returned safely. As time wore on, it was obvious that wasn't going to happen. And the effect this must have had on the rest of Kaisha's family too, her extended family who had been supporting Christy to this point. It must have been a horrible time for them and particularly her father Chris. The post-mortem conducted on Kaisha by Dr Ord would paint a cruel picture of what life had been like for the young girl in the time before her death, and it certainly put a lot of questions around Christy Abraham's version of events. Kaisha had a history of concealed wounds to her nose, jaw and skull, and consistent twisting in her arm bones. She'd suffered fractured teeth consistent with a blow or heavy fall to the ground, Several injuries were detected in her skeletal remains, indicating repeated assaults in the weeks and possibly months before her death. The doctor found 10 separate severe blunt force injuries to her head, jaw and body. Her bones showed healing formations, thickening, again indicating a history of abuse and severe impact to her little body, which would have caused her significant pain. This didn't seem like a little nudge or anger outburst that Christy had described in the confession we heard earlier. Chris Whippet went on a downward spiral after this, his lifestyle, diet and medications all working against one another. The news of his daughter's death, his second deceased child, hit him very hard. He had both Aidan and Kaisha's names tattooed on his arms. Sadly, before trial would take place, Chris passed away. Liz returned home one morning to find Chris unresponsive in his bed. Obviously, with Chris's past and the circumstances around his passing, there was a lot of conjecture as to how he died. Was it related to drugs? Had he taken his own life because he couldn't take it? While either of those two explanations would be understandable, I think it's important to point out that Liz, his mum, said outright that neither of those things was the case. His death certificate noted natural causes pending. I'm not sure what that means exactly, complications connected with his health perhaps, 
But Liz ended that by simply saying, with respect to Kaisha, that if Chris can't have her down here, well, he'll go up there and have her. When Robert Smith and Christy Abrahams had their days in court, the traumatic details of what had transpired would only further churn people's stomachs. The police and prosecution's case alleged that Kaisha had been thrown against a wall and or the corner of her bed before she died. After this, Robert Smith shoved her body into a suitcase and left Kaisha deceased in her own room for about five days before the pair called a cab to take them to a pre-dugged grave in Shelby on the 18th of July 2010. Here, Robert Smith doused Kaisha's body in petrol and then set it alight. Christy and Robert had apparently gone to lengths to destroy any evidence that could implicate them in Kaisha's murder. They'd cleaned the flat, thrown away their clothes, shoes and even their SIM cards. Robert Smith's murder charge was dropped and he was ultimately convicted on the lesser charge of manslaughter. He received a 16-year sentence with a 12-year minimum, making him eligible for parole in 2023. Christy Abrahams, at her trial, pleaded guilty to murdering her daughter, Kaisha. An incensed public gallery yelled for her to rot in hell. Amongst many things, the court heard that Kaisha's resemblance of her father annoyed Miss Abrahams and triggered her physical and verbal abuse. The judge ranked the crime in the mid-range of seriousness, his words, not ours, and found that it was an impulsive and uncontrolled act of violence. He couldn't definitively say that there had been a history of abuse against Kaisha at the hands of Christy alone and that she had inflicted no more than two blows on the little girl, not intending to kill her but to cause her grievous bodily harm. A lot of factors about Christy's own past were mentioned by Judge Harrison during sentencing, which we won't outline again as we covered that all up front. Judge Harrison described Christy Abrams as an inevitable product of entrenched intergenerational failures. She was sentenced to 16 years minimum jail term and will be eligible for parole in April of 2027. Detective Inspector Russell Oxford said outside the court that he was proud of the police's investigation and efforts in bringing both Smith and Abrahams to justice and that he hoped everyone would take stock of where we are in this world, go home, hug our kids and take care of them. Here's a clip of Detective Inspector Oxford and Sergeant Andrew Marks talking with 60 Minutes about the case sometime later. If you haven't heard or found this child within 24 hours, you'd you'd be very worried, wouldn't you? Yeah, there's lots to think about, and exactly what you said is right. This little six-year-old girl, how far can she wander? Tends to dictate where you search. And then if you keep doing this for days and days and days, there comes a point when we've got to make a hard decision to say, well, let's start to work out where areas that she's familiar with. So that was another thing that stuck out to us straight away with, with Robert Smith. Christy puts the call in at uh, the Triple L on the Sunday after, Sunday morning. Police respond. They came there. But where was Robert? He'd left the unit and he'd gone straight up to Westfield, two and a half kilometres away. And we're starting to think, well, why has he rushed up to the shopping centre? And why had he? Well, I've got my thoughts that perhaps he might have been up there to be, be captured on, on camera to be searching. Because they had to... Their, their charade of lies started... On that Sunday, yes, the court uh, would have us believe that he he was a slightly anxious man, that he too was abused by uh, Christie. Yeah, that's that's something that um, it's difficult for us as, as police to when you get matters where people plead guilty with an explanation, and all of a sudden 
Uh, they draw upon past experiences in their life. You, in other words, you have no sympathy. No. And, and it is because there was an opportunity for him to do something. Is that why you feel that way? Well, he's an adult and Kaisha's is six years old. You know, don't we have a duty to our children? And I, th I think that what he's done after the event is becomes a, a totally separate offence and, and more serious. In actual fact, he was sentenced more for the, the accessory to the murder yes, than the manslaughter itself because of the actions he did were so... It's not just simple providing um, assistance to Christie to get away with it. He did some very specific acts. He's gone out and he's, he's dug graves, he's burned bodies, he's, he's covered up, he's done all these things along the way. It's just a huge array of things that he's done to go to the accessory. It's the worst case I've ever seen. So why do you think he did that? I think it was loyalty to Christie. I think he's a coward. At the end of all this, Chloe, we've heard about the failings of past generations leading to this from Judge Harrison, and moving forward, we'd hear a lot about the failings, perceived or real, of the community services, stocks in this case. We'd see a short statement from Minister Prue Goward come out after Kaisha's case, which avoided mentioning her specifically, but pledged the system would be reviewed and reformed. From what I've heard anecdotally about this case and others that share similarities, there's certainly a public sentiment that a lot of people and government systems failed this young girl. Again, we'll leave that debate to others. What appears to be obvious, though, is that young Koyesha, at some stage, became the least important thing in her primary carer's life, and that's not the way it should be for any child. Your thoughts, Chloe? Yeah, well, what happened to Koyesha is beyond words for me. For a young girl to experience what happened to her, I just don't have the words to explain it. I think the statement about Christy as an inevitable product of entrenched intergenerational failures keeps really ringing in my head. I just, that's just so tragic and, you know, the outcome is just unimaginable. I'm not sure what else to say on this one. Um, the failures were obviously enormous and I hope that Kaisha is at peace. How about you? Similar, I really haven't got much to say. I find these ones very difficult to cover. Having uh, two young daughters of my own, I can't mentally get past what happened to her uh, in the time leading up to her death and her murder itself. Um, I can't get past that to dissect any of the potential systematic failures. By the time I got to that and the research and writing and listening to those audio clips over and over again, I was pretty much tapped out. I think what um, Detective Marks uh, says there, his words in that last clip really resonate with me. The duty of care we owe our children, you know, we're the adults uh, and we're meant to protect them. That uh, that really rings in my ears. Unfortunately, there was no one there to protect uh, Kaisha in this case. It's uh, extremely sad. My thoughts are with uh, Kaisha's family and friends who genuinely cared for her and, and felt her loss and grieved and, and, and were lied to. Um, but that's it from me. Yeah, well, I think um, you know, we always need a happy thought, but let's move on to that then. Um, what's your happy thought this week? Movie chat. I've got some movie chat for oh, you. Be yeah. Ooh. <laughs> uh, the, the wife and I snuck a movie in uh, last week and uh, it was really good. Um, it was called The Highwaymen and it's about the true story of the two ex uh, well, they were sort of, uh, what, what, I say ex-Texas Rangers. They were kind of decommissioned. The Texas Rangers were decommissioned back at this time and there was a couple of guys, um, Hamer and Galt, who got um, uh, sort of enlisted off the books 
uh, to track down Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, so it's about ah. that. It's, it's, it's about the story. Yeah, so it's got Kevin Costner plays um, plays uh, Hamer and um, Woody Harrelson. Uh, it was really good. I thought uh, they did a really good job with it. I only knew the ba- the basics of of that story. Um, so it was. I thought it was very well done and very interesting. So yeah, that's my happy thought. It's a cool perspective on that kind of story. Um, and Woody Harrelson, I think he's so good. He's it makes anything awesome. Yeah, he is good. Um, he was really good. And I was interesting because I'm such a big True Detective fan. Um, season one, sort of yeah. seeing him in a in a kind of like a, almost a buddy cop scenario with Matthew McConaughey yeah. uh, to see how he would be in this one with uh, with Kevin Costner. It was a very different dynamic, but equally, I don't know if it was e- equally as good. But yeah, it was really good. They did a they did a great job with it. Um, well, my happy thought is that we're doing a bit of a front garden refreshes. Um, I think a lot of people are at the moment, but we've you know done um, a bit of a new entranceway with some paving, and um, my husband's a horticulturalist, so he's making this awesome garden. So we just kind of did the garden beds today and um, laid a bunch of soil and spread it out and hacked into it and stuff, and um, it was really satisfying. I was telling you before we started that. Um, I didn't feel like I did that much. I was out there for kind of three hours today, but then kind of did almost half a garden bed. So it was like visually really satisfying. It felt like I made heaps of progress. So that's mostly the happy thought that I felt like I did a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Yeah. Then we were saying like, you'll probably get the majority of it done. It'll take just as much time to get those last couple of things done that you don't, (laughs) you don't even really notice in the end. So that's good. Yeah. So that's it from us on this one. If you want to get in touch, you can email us at truebluecrime at gmail. You can join our Facebook group, which is called True Blue Crime Podcast, and you can find us on Instagram by searching True Blue Crime. If you'd like to support the show, you can head over to our Patreon page. The link is in the show notes. For $5 per month, you can support the current free content we make on the main feed and get our bonus monthly Blue Label episodes. Some quick supporter shout-outs to Jules, Kimmy, Anonymous and Joey. Thanks for your support, everyone. That's it for this week. Uh, We'll be back with you all again soon and thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. Bye. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns